Shout out to Doug, Michael, Stan, Brad, and Gene as the new members of the Stamp Show Here Today podcast. Thank you for your support. Live from the stomach flu recovery wing of Oak Ridge Boys Hospital with a Confederate flag out front and a destroyed statue of Sir Roland Hill, this is the award-winning stamp, stamp show here today, episode number 261, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Albert. This is Tony. This is Don. This is David. So, speaking of David, we have David Kugel on the podcast today as one of the major leaders in philately and head of one of the largest stamp auction houses in the world. David, you have a very unique eye into the stamp market that we don't have. So, before we get started, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about who you are? Well, my name is, is David Kugel, and I'm co-chairman of Daniel F. Kelleher Auctions, and a director of Kelleher and Rogers Fine Asian Auctions, as well as the Michael Rogers online uh, brand, where we're selling uh, you know stamps collections in public auction and weekly internet sales every Sunday at 9 p.m. And uh, we've been doing that for uh, all of our adult life. And I say we because that the other co-chairman and managing director of the Hong Kong company is uh, Larry Gibson, formerly known as Lawrence Gibson. He's uh, not with us uh, on the podcast today, but I'm speaking for both of us. And we are enjoying very much uh, to be in the philatelic hobby business as it has uh, allowed us uh, to continue uh, growth, actually, in this most unusual time of COVID-19. And uh, we've seen a resurgence in that hobby of philately, which everyone said was waning and dying. So we're uh, excited about it. So, David, you, you brought up a couple things, but I think why don't we just center mostly in the auctions right now? Because what's going on right now in society is nobody is venturing out of their house or uh, let's say they're just starting to venture out of their house. How has that affected auctions particularly with the stamps and if you have some insight of uh you know what's going on with uh china add that into it also because you know getting a worldwide perspective is pretty important so um to that to that effect um i, I think a lot of people have stayed home but if you look at certain states florida texas among them we've seen some of that behavior that's not so good we're very proud of the northeast behavior of uh, social distancing and staying at home and their numbers are reflecting that connecticut is entering its has entered its phase two and working towards its phase three reopening in the auction world um we've taken some pretty unusual but necessary steps to protect our staff and our clients we are now entertaining uh, in-person viewing. So we've had public auctions that we've called public but not in-person auctions, which were conducted live over the internet as we always did with Stamp Auction Network, but without 
anyone in the floor in the room, but with many phone bidders, many live bidders on the internet, many pre-sale bidders providing bids from around the world through many portals. And what we've seen is a advanced interest and increased interest of almost 20% in the number of bidders and a 12 to 15% increase in pricing points of stamps in the three to low four figure range. When you get into the four to five figure range, we've noticed the pricing about the same, but we're selling a little bit less of those items. So it looks like people are very price sensitive to the um, COVID situation, the elasticity of COVID, we could call it if we were in economics. And uh, But on the other side, nice quality, pretty stamps are really bringing very good prices, the best we've seen. And collection stocks and accumulations, which is a marketplace that we're leaders in, are just off the charts as traders do not have their normal methods of buying. There's a tremendous, there is a, a real, I never thought I'd see this in, the, in my waning years of philately, a shortage of good philatelic material on the market. How do you get your uh, – right now, because you're not going out to any shows, and I can't really see people driving to you to show stuff. How are you getting your items that you're putting into auction? Well, so we were fortunate enough to have about a 90-day supply in-house as a backlog, and we started to kind of have a tipping point where we caught up with that, and we were perplexed as to what to do, and we kind of – instituted a curbside drop-off and pickup and a ship-in program where it's free for clients to ship into us using our FedEx account and our insurance. And I got to say that 80% of the clients that we would have normally not had a ship-in from have shipped us material. We had a 350 carton lot shipped in uh, a month ago from the West Coast from a well-known industry leader for placement into our public auction sales. And we've had numerous tri-state local pickups and a few outside the tri-state area, which uh, we're scheduling now for pickups as the phase two states are moving more towards the phase three so that it's safe for everyone. Where we felt in effect is the clients with the really high-end six-figure collections, uh, they're not really ready to, to have people into their homes yet, uh, understandably. And I can tell you, I'm not very ang- – I'm not very uh, – ready to get on a plane and fly there. I'd say driving distance, we're happy to meet with clients. And I've done it myself and Larry and our agents have done a number of those meetings and pickups. And that has given us a pretty good amount of material. Uh, we will probably start to notice this in another 90 days if we if we don't open up a little bit more. Well, hopefully we will open in a little 90 days. Um, I was at lunch today with Albert. And uh, Albert, why don't you share your two-week story that you were talking with a fellow about? I'm not sure which story we're talking about. Uh, oh, that you wanted to, uh, you weren't going to go to New York? Uh, oh, I was, I, Siegel, Robert A. Siegel Auction Galleries has a rarity sale next Tuesday and Wednesday. And I had asked a couple weeks ago if I could come and view, and I finally got an okay yesterday, but it's too late because Nevada is actually instituting some, they're instituting a mandatory mask thing and also I don't want to be uh, uh, the governor of New York suggested that a number of states if you came in from there that you would be quarantined so I don't want to go to the auction and be quarantined and I believe Connecticut is one of those uh, David would you would have you heard that yet how is that progressing so 
Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey have formed a coalition as they have the governors of these great states have formed a coalition in the early stages of this. And they have decided to, in some states, retaliatory because certain states like Florida quarantined northerners coming down south. Uh, but it's really not. It's they're looking at the numbers, and I think this is a scientific numbers game. Uh, and they're looking at where things are flattening, and they're saying, okay, things are working out. Where they're where they're spiking tremendously, they're concerned, and they don't want to give up the the, the really good position if you could call it that, uh, where we are right now. So it is it is a self-imposed quarantine. Uh, so they're not making you like if I flew to Hong Kong right now, uh, I would have to be put up in a uh, Chinese PRC-type hotel for 14 days, even with proper medical certification. Wow. Um, we had several, several people that we spoke with that were uh, very distressed at the accommodations. It's not like you can go pick the Four Seasons or the Ritz-Carlton. You know, Hong Kong has some of the nicest luxury brands in the world. They put you up in a, in a hotel that you, you probably wouldn't pick uh, on your first ten choices. <laughs> Albert, you might, Albert, you and Larry might not mind it, but I'm, I'm kind of a, I've become a hotel, snob in, a hotel snob in my old age, and camping for me is kind of like a courtyard Marriott. <laughs> how, is, how is the market in China? Just curious. Uh, you know, the reports that we've gotten, we have a, a Kelleher and Rogers sale number 31 live, which is on July 16th, which we are conducting here in Connecticut. We communicate through WeChat in uh, in the mainland, and uh, from what we've heard, uh, we seem to think prices are strong. And, and again, I think it's going to be the same sort of thing, though. The really high-end pieces, clients aren't really looking to put them on the market. I think we're still in the fear portion of the marketplace, including the stock market. You know, the markets are, are usually stimulated by fear and greed. So far, we seem to still be in the fear portion of the philatelic marketplace in terms of clients saying, hey, I want to let go. I had several clients whose collections we had for auction uh, a few weeks ago, and they were very nervous about, you know, should we let the auctions go on, etc. I explained to them they're going to get a better price than pre-COVID, and I had letters from both clients stating that they were so happy that we gave them that guidance and we exceeded their expectations by more than 20%. And, you know, they were pretty realistic to begin with. So it wasn't like they had low expectations or high expectations. But, you know, the market is strong for nice, pretty stamps that are more affordable. You know, again, when you start getting into the four, high four-figure and five-figure, unless you're talking collections that traders are buying, I think you're going to see continued resistance until, you know, the economy gets back to where it's moving upwards again, employment gets back to a higher rate and a less unemployment rate, and we get some sort of either vaccine or whatever it's going to be that's going to help us get over this COVID thing. Well, I will uh, add in because uh, I'm not only a podcaster, but I'm also a client sort of thing. Uh, I gave you some uh, things to auction off, and one of them was my number 26 duplicate collection. And, uh, you know, I was very, very concerned. You know, this auction is going on. Everything is shutting down. And you got like 50% more than I expected for the lot. And, you know, yep. it, it was, it was, I was, you know, I was wondering because, you know, I put it up without a reserve, I don't think. And I'm going, gosh, you know, am I going to be, am I, how much money am I going to lose here? And it turns out I made money off it. So I, I am a happy yeah, camper. 
your story is not uh, alone. You're not alone with that story. Um, in most instances, that has been the case. We've had a few instances where clients have canceled previous purchases because of this. And gosh, we certainly understand and, and we reach out to them in any way we can to help understanding that some difficult economic times are ahead for many of us. We're just very blessed that so far we haven't seen that. And actually, year to year, our figures are up almost 20%. Great. Anything else? Uh, I think uh, I think there's a, a slight glimmer of light down at the end of the very long tunnel that we are traveling through with this COVID thing. And I think if we all stay diligent and watch the numbers and be prudent, I think we'll get through it. I know we'll get through it. Well, I know that we'll get through it. Uh, here at PSE, as a matter of fact, our business kind of reflects what you've been going through is that we have a huge, huge number of people who are now becoming first-time customers, and we are getting a lot of orders. Yeah, but they're... The, but they're the smaller orders, yeah. yeah. These, so, are, these are from more almost exclusively from collectors. Yeah. Um, we're getting one or two dealers have reached out to us that uh, have not uh, been customers before, but our regular, cust our regular dealer customers... Uh, very, we're, very yeah, worried about 20% for them. So it takes yeah. a lot of individuals to make up, you know, well, it takes a lot of people submitting five stamps to make up for a person who submits 200. However, on the good side, we are start starting to see dealers now sending us stuff. And as a note, one of them, and I, I'm not going to mention any names, obviously, but uh, he was in a um, mail shutdown, you know, where they shut down the mail service. And they yep. just released, and as soon as they released and were able to have mail going out, all of a sudden we got a bunch of items submitted. So, you know, it's very interesting. A lot of the, I'm going to call them amateur collectors, are jumping into the market now. And the high, the top of the market is still very wary, well, is I, what I'm I getting. I think what we're seeing is we're seeing... Um, some beginner collectors are moving into the intermediate and advanced areas and that's also sparking because yeah. they've had so much time to spend with their collections that's also also um sparking an interest in exploring what cert certification is and obviously i resemble that remark <laughs> <laughs> Or you know, that's so, and that's so true because that's really so true uh we've seen a lot of guys who, you know, collectors go through phases of their collecting as they, you know, as they get married and have families and retire, et cetera. And, you know, different phases, they are in acquisition mode, they're in deaccession mode, they're in acquisition mode. I think a lot of the people that were in the dormant philatelic mode became active because they had this extra time. And I, and I know we were able to benefit from it because we had hundreds of get to later projects. And I know we're the only ones that have that, but <laughs> it was just, it was just really refreshing for us to be able to say, Oh my gosh, you know, we've had this how long and Oh my, wow. We're able to really work through it, spend the time needed, put it out. And, you know, we're seeing the benefits on our weekly internet sales. I mean, they're growing every week and it's become a very, uh, a very big thing uh, for collectors uh, from, you know, postal history to United States stamps to worldwide stamps, I, I have seen an increase on all levels across the board in those price points. It's just really uh, encouraging. Well, as you briefly mentioned mail, let's talk email. 
you actually uh, got a couple of emails from eBay recently. Yes, I did. Uh, this is, uh, I, well, uh, let me just read it. Hello, and then the name of my eBay account. Uh, we had to remove your listings because it didn't follow our offensive material policy. Listings that promote or glorify hatred, violence, or discrimination are not allowed. And so I got this, and I, like, kind of panicked. I go, holy crud, what's going on? And then it goes into the policy, and it, it has, like, uh, historical Holocaust and uh, slave items and Nazi propaganda. And I go, wow. You know, so the first thing that popped into my head was, oh, my goodness, did I list, like, some Hitler stamps or something like that, some souvenir sheets with Hitler on them or something. And then I kept reading down. And they removed three postcards that were listed in the uh, Americana, the Black Americana category, of uh, black people working in a cotton field. They, they were issued in the 1940s. And you look at them and it's just, you know, black people in a cotton field. And what eBay did, and the date of it is June 18th, so not too long ago, they totally rewrote their offensive material policy, which addressed specifically black Americana category. So a lot of very, very strange things are now being seen as offensive that were not offensive. I mean, these things have been on eBay probably for the last two years, but eBay has, uh, I don't think jumped the shark, but it seems like they have gone overboard on them. Yeah, they've increased our sensitivity for sure. Um, I, too, had an item ended. It was an RY8, which is the National Firearms Transfer Tax from 1939. It was an unused stamp with original gum. And uh, eBay wrote me and said, the sale of NFA tax stamp is not allowed on eBay as it is an unauthorized use or sale of stamps in violation of Title 26 U.S. Code 7209, which refers to... Uh, buying or selling a tax stamp for the purpose of defrauding the U.S. government of, of tax revenue. So I wrote to eBay and I said, well, this stamp was issued in 1939. It's not valid for to pay any kind of current tax. <laughs> um, but my, uh, yeah. my succinct argument uh, was not convincing to them. So, um, so if you're going to list an RY8 or an RY3, uh, make sure you don't mention that it's a national firearms transfer tax just call it a revenue uh, tax stamp. Yeah, you're very odd. I wouldn't even so use the word include, tax. That did not include the, uh, the, the machine gun with it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we call them machine gun tax stamps because out here on the West Coast, most of them originated on forms that came out of Hollywood, where, you know, Hollywood would want to have a machine gun. They go, oh, we need a machine gun for this war movie. So they buy the machine gun, get the tax stamp, and... Uh, about, I'm going to say it was about five years ago, uh, somebody at like Paramount, you know, dumped a bunch of them on the market. So, you know, there's all these stamps. But I think eBay is becoming hypercritical in these days because, uh, you know, of what's going on, obviously. Speaking about the mail service, I can give some, some uh, feedback on that. Uh, it seemed that letter flats were quarantined in several various postal stations for about three to five weeks throughout the country. New Jersey was one of them. We had several uh, clients that we sent 
materials to and several clients that sent us material and it was it was lost for about almost an average of four weeks and uh everything showed up eventually and i think they're back to service but they had some when i spoke with my postmaster here he said that they had some serious quarantine issues with uh, postal services where they had actual trailers full of flats that were just put it put aside I had the same thing happen today from a person in Australia who hasn't received their stamps for about I'm about 10 or 12 days. You know, usually it's pretty quick. And then I have some from Brazil where they were just returned. And I said, you know, I'll remail these, but we have to wait until the Brazilian quarantine is lifted. And they're going through a large uptick in cases, which don't get me started on cases because I think that that's a bogus way of tracking anything. But the, uh, the fact that the cases went up means that you cannot virtually mail anything today to Brazil and have any chance of it showing up. Wow. Very interesting stuff going on today. We, we are living in historic times. We are. We are most indeed. Well, and we, you know, we're wondering, the exposure to this you know, was, was much earlier than originally, you know, originally reported. And, you know, as someone who traveled, you know, 70% of the time in January, February, and early March, you know, you wonder, we haven't been tested yet, but, you know, Larry and I wonder, did we have this thing? Because we certainly were likely exposed to it with the amount of travel and people we came in contact with. And, you know, I think as you get more testing, you're going to see that as the numbers are showing, which I know you don't like, um, you know, 80% of the people may have been exposed to this that have that were out there. Well. There was a UCLA report, and I believe it was out about three weeks ago, and they did random sampling in the county of Los Angeles. And their random sampling determined that about 41%, and they came up with the number 41. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, 41% of the people had it. And so, you know, the testing numbers are going to keep going up because, you know, this California, 41% of people had it. But I know a person yep. who went in to get tested, and they asked him, you know, he was young, and they said, do you have any symptoms, you know, and they go, no, and uh, do you have anything going on? They gave him a quick little questionnaire, and they sent him home. They said, no, we're not going to test you. Go away. And it was like, wow, well, that's weird. That story's not alone, but I think you're getting more, at least in our neck of the woods in the tri-state area, they're really, really getting uh, aggressive on the testing. They want everyone to get tested as much as possible. Well, talking about another thing, and this uh, was suggested to us by uh, uh, Tony, but um, he brought up the Confederate uh, statues being torn down and stuff and said, you know, why are we collecting uh, Confederate stamps? And, uh, Tom, you, you have something on your... Well, we got uh, something that was pulled down from the Confederate Stamp Alliance. Uh, it says, uh, why collect Confederates? A short but very comprehensive answer is found in a letter from H.E. Wheeler to August Dietz in 1949. Now, for those who don't know who August Dietz is, he's the guy that actually created the first Confederate States catalog. He, he would did a lot of work with that and uh, he was really the nut that started the whole confederate states 
uh, stamp collecting area. Father of Confederate philately, not not Jack Molesworth, right? Yeah. That's right. And for those of you who missed it, he said 1949, which is 70 years ago. That's right. So Wheeler wrote. I'm feeling old. <laughs> <laughs> so Wheeler wrote. But the greatest appeal in the whole realm of philately, the Confederate States of America still holds the palm, and I think will continue to do so. The period of tragic history, the romantic features for which every soldier's letter embodies, the reach and range of the provisional issues, and the magnificent men and women for that a period of civil strife used what they could get in the way of paper and franked their letters with the issues of the government for which they laid down their lives and fortunes, makes every stamp and every cover of a priceless interest and almost sacred. So, Tony, you brought this up originally. What is your opinion? Do you think we should collect Confederate or... Or should we just burn it all? No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, I am not <laughs> suggesting that. But, you know, is there a, oh, is there a political conversation to be had with collecting stamps and covers from the Confederate States and the Confederacy? There certainly, uh, there certainly is a uh, intellectual uh, study, a, a philatelic study. The casual uh, observer, I was commenting about your, uh, you know, your dinner guest that came over uh, that uh, wasn't a stamp collector and want to know what's the most interesting thing you were doing lately. And you had just completed your uh, uh, CSA 1 through 14 and you wanted to show them that. Uh, what would they say? I think that's a really interesting question. You know, is collecting Confederate stamps anything like uh, what people are complaining about today. And of course my answer is no, because I'm a historian, you know, I collect well, we, stamps for history. We should never forget our history. You can't know where you're going and who you are. If you f have forgotten all that has gone before and you have to learn from it. You can't just have it be there. You have to learn from it. And quite frankly, I don't think that people are collecting Confederate stamps because they are anything close to racist. I think they're collecting stamps because it's an interesting hobby to follow. I mean, it's an know. interesting time in history. Yeah. Where a lot of things were happening and uh, there's a lot of aspects to it, even though there aren't a lot of different stamps. Well, unless you get into the process revision provisionals, but uh, <laughs> the general issues, there's not a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, the, a lot of the postmaster provisionals are supremely rare, so you're you know the average collector is n even beginner collector especially is not going to encounter those. Well, it's like when they put out the Army Navy set, and they had Stonewall Jackson and Robert E Lee on a stamp, and they went through the exact sort of thing. Of course, you know in 1934 they weren't tearing down statues or anything like that. But it was a very, very hot conversation in philately. Should Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee be on the Army-Navy stamps? And, uh, you know, the post office put them out. Yeah. As Stan holds up hey. a block of four to the camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold them closer you know, to the microphone. From a historical standpoint, the generals in both the North and South, most of them went to West Point together. 
and you know all these generals that were raging battles against each other on the battlefield knew each other as classmates at West Point. It's one of the most interesting things in history that I find, and you know how uh, times have changed where this is becoming uh, for the for the next generation less mainstream. I think you have to really realize it is going to affect the collectability long-term of, of this, you know, once popular, still popular area. Yeah. That, what is your opinion on that? Cause uh, let me, let me uh, back up just a moment. You deal a lot in Chinese stamps. You have stamps like uh, China is red. The one where they m- made Taiwan, not part of China. And the guy feared for his life after designing the stamp and the post office, put it out, you know? Oh, Absolutely. How how do you see because that stamp now because the Chinese government removed it is how much is one going for? Well, you know, uh, a really perfect mint never hinge copy. We sold one last year in our Stockholmia sale private treaty. I think it was a hundred and ten or hundred and twenty thousand U.S. dollars. Um, and used ones are, are, are trade for a lot less, maybe fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand. But it really kind of depends on the quality, as as all things do. But to and to, to your point, um, that stamp really isn't allowed to to be sold within Red China. In other words, um, to let's see, when we were in Stockholmia, we were we were uh, commiserating with our old comrades at John Bull. It was a company that you know Larry used to run that I work with, and they were telling us that they were they could not take their catalog to the Chinese stamp show because they censored it out because they were offering Taiwanese stamps and they had whole country red stamps, and they did not agree with it. So, you know, it's certainly going to affect the saleability of some items. Uh, if you look at the historical pricing of that stamp, you know, you, you, you 25 years ago, you could have bought that stamp for $5,000 or less. So it's it's gone up exponentially. Probably today it's a little under the 120 we sold ours for. It's probably 90 to 100. But, it, but if you look at the historical chart, it still is substantial price. I know that the rarities in the Chinese market, there was a Hall of Classic stamp from a, a, a renowned New York City philatelic auction house that passed at 43,000 which the last one I remember selling I think it was 80 or 90,000 so there's definitely an effect on the marketplace politically with the Chinese material on some of it and you got to you got to wonder that look the next generation of stamp collectors aren't going to want to collect certain topics that they find to be distasteful to them I mean it's really a, a, a different world we're living in as we see it on the news every day well, I eschew change, so uh, I'm hoping that uh, you know people do look at this and say, eh, "This is a historical item. It isn't you, the fa- well, the fact that Auschwitz, the camp, is still standing, yeah. and it's standing because Jewish people say, "See that over there? That's what we never want to have happen again." You don't believe that the Holocaust happened? Come here. I'm going to take you by the hand, and I'm going to take you to this, this place and show you so you, you can shut up. That I is, agree with you wholeheartedly. That is really super important, whereas, you know, we're tearing down statues of literally Quaker abolitionists. Right. Well, and part, and... Of, that, part of that's to the education system that has not taught our younger generations uh, who these people are and what they 
uh, did for the, the society, what they stood for, and why they are, why they have statues. <laughs> Yeah. You may not be allowed. You may not be allowed to have the curriculum in some schools, from what I've heard. Well, there is an argument to be made for some of it because there was between about 1906 and 1915, there was a movement to put up a bunch of racist statues, you know, in the South, and they said, you know, this is. It, it was during the heyday of the KKK and stuff like that. I I think that it would be really super though if you looked at each statue individually and said when did that statue go up it went up in uh, 1915 uh who is it commemorating It's commemorating some guy who uh fought for slavery it's like okay that guy goes down but the wholesale just go hey there's a statue in that park oh who is it i don't know okay let's tear it down i mean there there's some problems i think there's a fine i think there's a fine line between Collecting pieces of history versus flying a Confederate flag in your front yard in 2020. Yeah, I don't think too many. They're, they're, people, they're yeah. two. They're two completely different subjects to me. Yeah, I don't think people buy. Here's a here's a story for you. Here's a story you got. If we got a few minutes, I went down to a Northern Virginia client's house two years ago to pick up his collection. Pulled up to the front of his house, and he has a Confederate flag in the picture window of his house. You know, twenty by ten or whatever, huge window. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in the South here. This is cool. I'm south of the Mason-Dixon. I go up to the door, knock on the door, and he looked at me and said, Yankee, what are you doing at my home? And I <laughs> introduced myself. I went inside, and he said, now you sit down over here. And he said, I just want you to know, and he put it, he had a shotgun. He put this shotgun next to his leg and said, I want you to know you're going to have to behave yourself because I'm here with this shotgun. And I don't want any of that northern chicanery and deceit. <laughs> and, uh, I, I made the mistake of giving him my business card. And if you look at our logo, it's a French postman who's been redrawn to look like Stanley Richmond's caricature. But he looks like he's wearing a union soldier's outfit. He took the card and he threw it on the ground and said, and you give me a card with a union soldier. And I had to explain it to him. By about two hours later, we were best friends eating some Brunswick stew. And, uh, you know, I, I wound up with a really cool collection. It was six figures. But, you know, th- this is a this is a tipping point right now. And you could I could tell you could see a guy like that, you know, over the edge. And <laughs> wow, you know, we have some we have some very unusual times ahead of us. And, you know, I, I, I got to say, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good time to pray for everyone. <laughs> Excellent. Well, anybody else have anything to add? People, yeah. Wonder, people wonder why somebody, you know, the black, the so-called Black Americana uh, uh, stuff that's being sold right now. The biggest customers are African Americans. I've sold a number of pieces, and they they want a piece of their history. It's the same reason why I, being Chinese, have collected everything having to do with the Chinese Exclusion Acts that were passed in California and then in the United States starting in 1883. You couldn't be an American citizen if you were Chinese until 1943. So it's it's... So to, to collect history is a very important thing. I feel bad for these people who think that Confederate stamps, collecting Confederate stamps means that, that we don't acknowledge where, where all this came from historically. It's just, it, it's important to, to acknowledge it and to, uh, and to bury it is, is a mistake. Oh, I think everyone agrees with that who collects philatelic or historical things. But, you know, I think there's a whole generation that disagrees with that thought you know, emphatically. 
Well, we'll see in about 20 years whether they become stamp collectors, and I'll bet you money they're going to become stamp collectors. I, uh, well, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> I, think a, I think a fascinating um, uh, collection to be had is philatelic history coming out of CHOP. Uh, oh, <laughs> for a short amount of time, and, and you know who knows how much you know material would be out there, if but, any. Uh, yeah, if any. But uh, but what a what an interesting uh, uh, time frame, um, you know, to to look at and, and see if you can find postal history, you know, of that. Well, nature. it seems to me they don't really even have a government, so uh, I'm thinking there's not a lot of mail going to be. Oh, I'm generated. sure there's some stamp collector up there cranking out locals. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Well, I will tell you that I collect uh, COVID history I've started, and uh, I'm still looking. If anybody has one, please, I'm looking for one of the blue-striped postcards that they mailed out uh, with um, Donald Trump's, I forget what it is, Donald Trump's suggestions or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 30 Days to Solo Spread. Yeah, anyway, yeah. it's a half, it's a diagonally half blue, half white postcard, and I they mailed out uh, 75 million of them. I didn't get one. They uh, are not, I mean, everybody threw them away because they're junk mail. And I want one of them. But I did add to my collection today, I got a uh, postcard from Supercuts that I found. And uh, it, was, it, it was mailed like a week before all the haircutting places got shut down. So I have a, that sort of a COVID thing, but I collect, you know, all the weird stuff for COVID. Plus I'm sure I'll get all the stamps that all the countries put out too. But right now I want the backup story stuff. Hey, I can send you my mother's, uh, my mother's uh, COVID uh, check. She's been, she's been gone for over a year and a half, but she got her stimulus check. (laughs) Yeah, oh, wow. yeah I, I heard about that. The IRS is trying to collect those back from from uh, well, they family decided, members. You know, surprise, surprisingly efficiently, they decided rather than try to sort out who was living and dead, they sent it to everyone that was on their rosters and said, "If you, you know, if you're deceased, don't cash it." <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, so, you know, apparently I, I, a lot I of family members did. Said yeah. that to me. I was quite amused by that. Yes. Apparently, a lot of family members did get it back. <laughs> I finally got my letter from yeah. the uh, the letter that said I have a stimulus check coming. I finally got the letter oh. a month after I got the check. Yeah, I got mine. That went into the collection too. It's a nice, it's a little letter, form letter saying your check is in the mail. I had gotten my check, like you said, like three weeks earlier. But it's cool because it went through the mail, so it's postal history. Yep. Cool. Well, we need your help, if you can't tell. (laughs) Join the podcast. Membership is $10 for a lifetime membership. We need your help to keep us going because nothing on the Internet is free to do, including setting up all these wonderful telephone connections. If you are an APS member, send us your APS membership number because we are an APS-affiliated club. Our address is P.O. Box 539-309, Henderson, Nevada, 89053. Your support is very much appreciated. You've been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 261. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. This was Mark. This was Albert. This was Stan. This was Tony. This is David. This is Don. (laughs) 
You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.